It's great to be together in this place today. We're going to continue to worship just now, but before we get there, I want to share the word with you and uh, just encourage you, and then we're going to respond to the word in a time of worship that the choir and the musicians will continue to lead for us. Our theme for today is yes and amen, that our God is faithful and that we can say yes and amen to every promise that he has made. Now I wanna ask you this question. How many of you enjoy to be surprised? How many of you like to be surprised? That's awesome. How many of you hate being surprised? I'm sure there's a fair amount of you people. Surprise! <laughs> there's many people that, that, that just don't like being surprised, but then there are people that are really difficult to surprise. Have, have you got a friend or a family member like that? When you try and surprise them, they sniff it out every time. Now, I'm married to a person like that that it is impossible to try and surprise her. In the 30 years that I've known her, we've been married 27 years this year, I've got it right once to surprise her, but it was a good one. I still dine out on that one. I still live off that one time because it was the time I asked her to marry me, that I actually got it right to surprise her. And the biggest surprise was she said yes. No, what happened was we, we've been talking that we were going to get married and uh, we, we, want, we were students here and uh, in, the, in the training center and uh, so we prayed with our leaders and everybody felt, you know, that we were in agreement, that it was right. So we knew we were going to get married at some point, but, you know, you still have to do the thing right and officially and get the special day and ask her and take the chance that she may have changed her mind in the meantime. So what I did is... Uh, we were, I, I actually worked at, got a ring designed without her knowing it. And, and the way I was able to do that is um, because we were poor, we were students, we really didn't have any money, but somebody had given us gold. And uh, so we were able to take that gold and uh, we were going to have a ring made with it. But she kept it. Did we also have a pearl given to us or did we have a pearl? Natasha had a pearl. She wanted a pearl ring. And uh, so she kept the gold and the pearl, not trusting me with it. So she kept it. And uh, then, you know, we would do that thing with, which engaged couples do. They go around, and, you, and when you're in the mall or somewhere, then you go look at rings. And she was starting to get irritated with me, because how many of you guys know that's not something that generally gets us all that excited? And uh, I played that. So, so I just looked disinterested and was like, yeah, we'll get to it. And she was getting a little agitated with me. But I was doing all of this and actually really paying attention. And, uh, and, and actually listened to when she was speaking about the kind of ring she would like. And I noticed one thing, that one design that she, she said she liked more than any of the others. Because with her, today, tomorrow, you know, any, it can change. But I, I accumulated the information and, and eventually I found this is the design. So I, I, I actually snuck in and stole the gold and the pearl. And went and took this huge risk that I'll never do in my life again. But, you know, the foolishness of youth. And I went and had the ring designed and made while she was getting irritated with me because we were not giving enough attention to this. And then I planned a special day, wrote poems with hints in that, you know, this is a big day and had a whole thing planned. And the evening we went out for a nice meal. And after the meal, we went for a walk. And I promise you. I was already on my knee. I already had the finger, of the ring halfway on her finger, and she still didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I surprised her. 
with, and I was able to ask her this great question, will you marry me? And like I said, she said yes. Aren't we thankful for, I'm thankful for that. It's the one chance I had and I'm so thankful she said yes. Surprises are wonderful events and normally we mark great events with surprises. I want to take you to a portion of scripture that applies to us today where there was a surprise and a great question that was asked at the same time. And it's the account in Luke of the resurrection of Christ and of the, some of the disciples and particularly the ladies becoming aware that Jesus is no longer in the grave. So if you can, let's read with me from Luke 24 verse 1 to verse 8. On the first day of the week, in other words, this was the Sunday. So Friday, Jesus was crucified. Friday evening, he was taken off the cross. Saturday, he was put in the grave. And uh, he was in the grave. And Sunday morning, the first day of the week, early in the morning, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone, stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their, heads face, with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified on the third day. Be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So here these women go very early in the morning. Before anybody else could get there, they wanted to make sure that they were there first at the grave of Jesus. They loved Jesus. Mary Magdalene and some of the others, they loved Jesus. And they just wanted to make sure that he was, his body was taken care of, that he was, he was left in peace. So they get there very early in the morning, but as they walk into that area where the tomb was, where Jesus was, they get surprised. They encounter some surprises. There were three things that day that I want to highlight quickly that surprised them. The first thing that surprised them is they were surprised by a stone rolled away. Now, in the scripture, and, 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 and you've got to take all four of the gospels and, and you weave the story together because they all share different uh, details and come from it from different perspectives. But in Matthew, it tells us that it was Joseph's tomb. And Joseph with Nicodemus came after Jesus was crucified, and they took the 75 pounds of nard and the spices and the herbs that was used to prepare the body of a dead person. So they, they took Jesus' body, and Joseph was a secret follower of Christ. But I've spoken about this before, and he stepped out, out of his secret followership and became very public and said, I want to take care of the body of Christ. So they took the body of Christ, they prepared him, they wrapped him in the linen cloths and put the, the face cloth over his, over his head. And then they took him to the grave that belonged to Joseph and they put him in the grave. But they were concerned that some were going to come and steal the, the, the body of Jesus. Because of the claims that he made, that they were fearful that somebody, and because they, the, perhaps some of the Jewish leaders didn't want people to continue to follow Christ, so they wanted to steal the body away and, and, and so that there could be no more tension paid to Jesus. So what Joseph decided to do was to roll a big stone in front of the grave and uh, seal it so that, and guards were placed to keep, make sure that the body of Christ would remain in the grave. But as these ladies got there this morning, 
and they found that the stone was rolled away. And this was a surprise to them. This was unexpected. This is not what they thought they were going to see is the stone rolled. It was a big stone. It, it wouldn't just be, you know, casually rolled away. A wind couldn't have blown it. It had to have been somebody that came and rolled the stone away. And this surprised them. And they asked each other in Mark 16 verse 3, it says, they, they had asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Surprised by a stone rolled away. That which they didn't expect. Secondly, they were surprised by a grave that had been robbed. A grave that was robbed. Because when they first they saw the stone rolled away, then they, they stuck their heads into this cave area and they, and they looked in and then they could see the linen cloth lying there. But there was no body. Jesus was gone. And their, and their fears rose up within them and they thought, surely somebody came and stole the body of our Jesus. It was empty. The, they, they, the fear, the confusion that welled up in them. It, it happened in John 19, verse 1 and 2. It tells us that Mary Magdalene took off running at that point as soon as she saw the grave empty. And she ran towards Peter to go find Peter. And she told Peter, they have staken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. He's gone. And you can understand those that love Jesus. The fear that they, that they had was that they were going to take his body and somehow desecrate it. And somehow just throw it in a cheap in a porpoise, a grave somewhere, and that he would be dishonored and mistreated even in his death. So this, this, there was fear, there was concern. What happened to the body of Christ? The, in Mark 16, verse 8, it says, the rest of the women stayed there wandering. Mark described, described them as trembling and bewildered. Not a nice surprise. But they were surprised by a grave robbed. The third thing that they were surprised by were by gleaming men, as this translation puts it. Shining men. Men standing there like lightning. Now, this is before the days of computer-generated imaging and CGI and movies. and So none of them have seen Star Wars or, you know, have seen Marvel movies or anything like that. So, you know, perhaps today we'll go, oh, this is cute. This is interesting CGI that we've got going here with gleaming men. For them, this was like, whoa. Gleaming men standing there, surprising them by these young men dressed in white robes as they were described in another place. Matthew says an angel had come from heaven, rolled back the stone and sat on it. In John's account, they actually went into the tomb and at the head of the tomb and at the foot of the, of this, of the stone where the body was laid on, these two angels were sitting. Not your usual experience in a graveyard. Not what you would expect to encounter. This surprised them that these two gleaming men were there. And then what became really surprising to them is what these gleaming men asked them. And this is the point that I really want to share on a little bit this morning. They asked them this great question. Why have you come to look for the living among the dead? We say that again and just think of, of this question. Why have you come to look for the living among the dead? It's a bizarre question. It's an absurd question. It's quite a weird question to ask in a graveyard. 
to ask people that have come to a tomb with spices to come and look at a body, to come and care for a body. It is quite a bizarre question to ask them, why have you come to look for the living among the dead? I don't know how many of you have gone to go visit your living relatives in graveyards. How many of you have had picnics in graveyards? Oh, wow. There's a couple of people. I don't know what our different traditions are, but normally when we go to graveyards, it's to see dead people. The person we're trying to encounter and meet even in their absence and to have some form of interaction with is the dead person. We don't go looking for living people. But here these angels ask them this question, why are you looking for living for the living amongst the dead? Now for any of us that have read the scriptures enough and, and been around the scripture for some time, you would know that the scripture is filled with great questions at very important times that God asks people. And normally when he asks a question, as we always say, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, it's because he's trying to make us aware of something that we don't know. He's trying to bring understanding and revelation and knowledge to us that we obviously don't have. So when the angel asks them this question, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? It's because they want to reorganize their minds. They wanting to give them information that will actually change the way they see things. They want to bring them different paradigms. They want to restructure their thinking. And they, they're actually saying to them, we, we, we want to, you to understand that everything has changed. You cannot live according to your normal expectation anymore. You cannot just look at life the same. You've always looked at it. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You've always been used to look at life in a certain way. You've always understood life from a certain viewpoint and a certain understanding. You've always seen things and cause and effect you've understood because of the way you look at life. But now he's saying to you, you have to learn to look differently. You have to recreate your understanding. You have to reorganize your expectations because life is now different. Everything has been turned around. That which you used not to expect, you have to learn to expect. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You have to learn to look differently. Now let's think about this for a moment. What is it that changed on that day? You see, because when Jesus died and then he rose again, it's not that you can just look at that and go, wow, that's amazing and applaud it and carry on with life. From that moment on, everything is different. Life is completely different. Cause and effect is now different. It changed everything about everything. And these angels were ushering these women into a new understanding to say, you used to be able to see something and then expect this effect. But now we're telling you you're going to see things and have to learn to expect a different effect. Something new, something different. The first thing that I think they were trying to tell them you have to learn to look for life, even where there's death. You have to learn to look for life, even where there's death. You see, because in their experience, death would have been final. Their normal expectation was, cause and effect is, if somebody hangs on a cross, is declared dead, taken off the cross, put in a grave, that's the end of the story. Life has ended the angels are saying to them, you have to, you're going to have to start learning to look for life now, even in the most unexpected places. 
even in the places where you would not think life could be found, everything has changed. There are new possibilities. You have to learn to look for life even in death. If you're a follower of Christ, have you not had to learn as you're a disciple of Jesus to to look for life even in dead places? Have you not experienced in your own life where it seems that something's come to an end, where something has failed, where something feels like it was supposed to happen, but it ends and you think it's dead, there's no more. And then God comes and he brings life, even where we would expect death to continue. But not only did they have to learn to look for life, where they would expect death. They had to learn to look for resurrection. Because you see, Jesus wasn't just dead. He was resurrected. He didn't cheat death. He didn't find a way, and sometimes people would say, you know, have lovely explanations for, to, to try and deal with the resurrection and say, oh, it wasn't real. Jesus was just in a coma. And then he woke up. After a couple of days, you know, when he smelt the strong herbs, then he he was brought to life. Or, or, you know, he he made as if he was dead. You know, he slowed his heart rate down and, you know, he just controlled his breathing and he just appeared to be dead. But let me tell you, the scripture is clear on this. And if you really think about it logically, he was dead. He couldn't have rolled the stone away. He couldn't have unwound himself. He was dead. Can I say that again? He was dead. As dead as any of us would be when after we have breathed our last breath, he was dead. There was no life in him. There was no flame lingering in him. There was no sense of just, you know, some brain waves going or a faint heart. He was dead. These Roman soldiers knew what dead people look like. Do you remember what happened on the Friday? It was getting to the time of preparation for the, for the Sabbath. And so the, the Jewish people didn't want to deal with the dead body because the Sabbath was coming. So they actually said to the Roman soldiers, listen, we need to get these guys dead and so that we can remove their bodies from the, the cross. And remember, they went to, the, they went to the, the thieves and they found that they were alive. So what did they do? They broke their legs. Remember that from the scripture? Terrible. Because you see, when they broke their legs, you could no longer rest on your legs. Evidently, when you were in the crucifix, in the crucified position like this, to keep your lungs from deflating completely and being able to breathe in air, they would would rest on their legs and push up on their legs so that they could keep their lungs from being able to function. So when they broke their legs, they could no longer do that, and then their lungs compressed and the air was pushed out of their lungs and they would die from lack of air, lack of oxygen. So that's how the two thieves die. But when they got to the body of Jesus, they said they found that he was already dead. Because remember, he said, I give you my spirit. He gave up his life. He died. So they didn't break his legs. And that was to fulfill a prophecy from the Old Testament that said he was the lamb that would not be broken. His body would not be broken. So they didn't break his legs. But just to make 100% sure, They stuck the spear into the side of his body. And the blood and the water came running out. And that to them was a sign that this man is really dead. 
These Roman soldiers dealt with this all the time. They knew dead people and they took down the body of Christ and then Joseph asked and then they gave him the body. And Joseph and uh, Nicodemus dealt with that body, treated that body. They knew this body was dead. So I cannot stress this enough. He was dead. But that morning, why are you looking for the living among the dead? As they got there, they suddenly had to factor in some new possibilities. When they saw the grave was empty, they saw Jesus' body not there. The only thing they could think logically in their mind, the only reasonable explanation for them could have been according to all their experience and how they've always been taught to view life and how cause and effect works in the world that they live in was that somebody came and stole the body. But the angels say to them, from this point on, you have to learn to look for resurrection. Death is not the final word. There's resurrection now. And not only must you learn to look at Jesus' death and see resurrection, but he's the first among the brethren that you too will be resurrected one day. You too will be given a new body. You too will live life after death. Learn to look for resurrection. See, even when something has died, even when something has been declared, even when there's a time and a date written next to something and it's said it is done, it is over, God can resurrect. God gives new life. God gives new opportunities and new possibilities. Not only did they have to learn to look for life where there was death and learn to look for resurrection, they also had to learn to look for truth. Because remember when they were standing there and, then they, and these angels started speaking to them, the angel asked them the question, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And then the angel says, Can't, don't you remember? Don't you remember what he said? He told you that he was going to die and on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Don't you remember that? That is the truth. You may be experiencing emotions at this point in time of fear, of confusion, of anxiety of concern, of hopelessness, of despair. You may be experiencing feelings like that. You may be seeing the facts that there's a body that was in this grave that was dead that is now not there any longer, that there's a fact that there was a possibility that people would want to steal the body, but you cannot live anymore by your feelings or by the facts. You have to learn to live by the Word of God, which is the truth. The angel was saying to them, you have to learn to look for what God says, despite what the situation proclaims. The just shall live by faith. They will see things that are not. From this point on, you have to look beyond. You cannot just see. The angel didn't say to them, ignore all of this that you see. He said to them, you've got to learn to factor in that which God said into what you see. And treat that with the highest authority. He's dead, but he told us he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered. Then they remembered. And sub since then, every one of us have had to learn, every follower of Christ, every disciple has had to learn to look for truth, not just for feelings and facts and situations and circumstances. It is one of the key practices, the discerning marks of a disciple is that we can look through the stuff of life and see God's word, 
see God's will and hold on to that. When everything else says this is the truth, we can hold on to that which God declared. But we believe His promises. We believe His promises are yes and amen. When everything stands against it, we say, this is, if this is what God said, then now this is what I hold on to. Have you got promises in your life? Have you got the Word of God in your heart? And the, and the enemy comes against it. Your feelings flounder. Like the Scripture says, you, you, you become tossed to and fro by like, wind, like, like waves in the wind. And, 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 and you struggle and you feel concerned and you feel all these feelings. And, and you hear the news and you read all the things that people say and, or, or people that talk with you about your situation or whatever it is. And, and you feel all these things and you go, ah, I don't know. It's in those moments where the Spirit of God may need to come to us and say, don't you remember that He said? Don't you remember that He said? Because that changes everything. If I remember what He said, not only did they have to learn to look for life, look for resurrection, look for truth, they had to learn to look for joy. It's quite a thought to find joy in a graveyard. To find joy amongst, in a place where there's been so much cheer, tears that have been shed. Where people would go and put flowers down. People would go and talk to their loved ones and cry and feel the sadness of the loss. But here the angels say to them, you have to learn to look for joy. Even amongst the sadness in the midst of that which seems so hopeless, learn to look for joy. You see, we're a peculiar people because our joy is not based on the circumstances of this world because we've learned to look through and we look for truth beyond the feelings and the facts. There's a, tr there's a joy that is resident within us. There's a, there's a strength the scripture talks about the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a joy that is within us that can never be snuffed out or killed as long as we carry the word of God. The word of God produces in us this everlasting joy. The sense of shalom. God has got it. He's in control. And that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That God is busy. God is working. He's not given up. There may be death. Doesn't mean it's the end. If God said, there's joy. Have you experienced that? When so much around you feels like it's given you enough reason to be broken and sad and, and to feel like it's, there's no more hope. But there's a joy that keeps being rekindled within you. I mean, there's so many in this community and from both churches that we've seen having lost loved ones, dear ones, in, in, in circumstances that is horrible. And it's, it's been the, so remarkable, just from my personal experience, to have journeyed with people that have prayed and trusted God, whether it's things like cancer, whether it's, it's, it's just the most horrible things that happen, whatever it is. And, and you spend time with God's people. 
and they're experiencing so much trouble and, and, and even in people when they've lost their jobs and, and their businesses failed and, and, and or when relationships end or when there feels to be so much pain and you spend time with God's people and they, and they feel the pain and there's, there's tears and there's, there's sorrow and, and they mourn and, and they feel the struggles but you spend time long enough with them the, the joy starts rising up again and the flame starts rekindling but God is for me. He's busy. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know my God's got this. And then even, even in the sadness, there's joy that comes. Because we have had to learn to look for joy, even when it's not expected to find joy. The last one I want to mention is, those ladies there by that grave, the angel, when they said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I think the last thing they were saying to them is you have to learn you have to learn to look for grace. Look for grace. Learn to look for God's grace and his providence in hopeless situations. They thought they were seeing the death of a dream, the end of a hope. But the angels were teaching them to look for God's plans. Everybody else the Romans, the Jewish leaders, the people of Jerusalem thought, oh well, that's the end of that. The Romans thought, Pilate thought, I averted a crisis. I dealt with a rebellion. I've squashed it. It's done. It's the end. The Jewish leaders thought, we dealt with a really big problem. This guy was going to upset everything. He was going to take our power away from us. He was going to cause big problems for us. We dealt with it. It's done. But as Joshua read that scripture this morning where it says he stood as a lamb silent before his accusers. Jesus allowed this to happen. This didn't happen to Jesus. This happened because of Jesus. When he was killed and put on a cross, it wasn't something done to him. It was something that he allowed them to do. It was something he chose. It was something that he positioned himself for. They could not have done it. Remember, he said to Pilate, he said, you, you, can't, you have no authority to do this if I don't allow you. He allowed it. He chose it. Why? Why would one choose such a death? Why would one choose such unrighteousness, such, such terrible, horrific things to happen? Because of grace. Because Jesus chose to die on that cross because that became grace. To us. And I spoke about it on Friday. That he died and paid the price in full on our behalf. So that we can receive mercy from God and receive what we don't deserve. Grace, God reach, God's riches at Christ's expense was given to us. When he hung on that cross and when he died, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And for all eternity, throughout time past, before the crucifixion, and all time beyond the crucifixion, forgiveness has been delivered. It's a possibility. Grace is now our portion. So even in the horror, even in the injustice, even in the, in the terror of Jesus, His body broken, imagine what it must have been like. The fear that must have even been in their stomachs. 
those women, and for, for Joseph and for Nicodemus to go and handle the body of Christ. Because this was not a nice body. This body was not somebody that died peacefully, quietly in their sleep. This was a marred, beaten, tortured body. Flesh ripped off this body. Beaten, as the scripture says, beyond recognition. How much they must have loved Jesus to say, we want to go tend to his body. So all they went looking for that day was for horror and terror and abuse. But God said, learn to look for grace. Learn to look for beauty where you would expect to see such ugliness. You will find beauty. The world has changed, people. We live in a different world because of Jesus. We live in a world where there's hope everlasting. We have to learn to look for it. One Peter, Peter, one of the disciples that was there, that was in that moment, that went through all these emotions and all the ups and downs and, and even you know, disowned Christ and went through all of this pain and everything that saw it all happen, years later wrote these words in, in, his, in his epistle in verse, chapter 1 and verse 3 to 4 of, of 1 Peter. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his, uh, sorry, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. A beaten, broken body could not hold him back. Death could not hold him back. Satan could not hold him back. But on the third day, this day that we remember today, he is risen. He is risen. We have life and life everlasting. I want to read to you as I finish. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55 to 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Can I read that again? Let these words grab hold of your heart this morning. O death, where is your victory? You see, death was our greatest enemy. Death was the final curse in the Garden of Eden when God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Death was the one thing that looked impossible for us to overcome. How can we escape death? Oh, death, where is your victory? You that looked so victorious for so long, that looked like you were in charge, that looked like you had the final word, where is your victory now? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have been given the victory. I want you to stand with me and our, and our choir and our musicians are going to lead us in a time where we're going to proclaim the victory that we have. We're going to release the sound of, of, of jubilation. We're going to release the sound of thankfulness and thanksgiving today to say that we have come to learn to look for life 
where there once was death. For resurrection, for truth, for joy, and for grace. Life is different for us now. It's not the same. Come Holy Spirit and help us. Let's celebrate together. There's just two words that I feel to just release that's going to be shared with us. And then we're going to pray and give opportunity for people to respond to the Lord. And then we're going to end our time together. Thank you, Josh. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so we stand at a significant weekend for Christians. In the church calendar, what a significant weekend. The weekend when we say that death doesn't have the final word, but life has the final word. And as we stand at this not only significant weekend, but the significant moment in the service, I'm reminded of the scripture that says that he gave us beauty for ashes. And I wonder if you could consider in your life some of the things that Pastor Louis was preaching about, the places where it feels that there has been or there has been a death. And you stand and you say, Father, your promises are yes and amen. And we are going to hold to your promise that says that in the place of ashes, you give us beauty. And so these things that appear difficult, we're standing and we're standing up and we're saying on this Easter weekend, because you have risen, because you're alive, that you will take those circumstances of ours and that that which the devil intended for harm, that you would bring for good and that there would be beauty in the place of ashes. There is a song, um, it's a raise a hallelujah, and it says that hope will arise out of the ashes. And so I want to just pray an anointing of hope on your circumstances, an anointing um, that you would be able to stand up and say, because death does not have the final word, because life has the final word, we are standing with tenacity and we are holding onto your promises. And we are not letting go until we see the breakthrough in our area, until we see the beauty for what today appears to be ashes. I think it'll be good to pray a prayer. If you feel this morning there's ashes that you want to hold up to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for beauty that can come out of these ashes. I proclaim today in faith that no matter how dead this looks, you can give life. If you have something like that, that you have the faith in your heart today to hold up and to give to the Lord so that he can bring forth beauty out of ashes. Won't you just lift your hand and hold it up this morning. Just hold it up to the Lord and we're going to pray and speak his promises. His yes and amen over that. Lord, we thank you. As we began this service, we sang nothing 
is impossible for you, Lord. Nothing is impossible. And I declare that this morning, not because it's what we believe merely, but it's because what your word says. And your word is the everlasting truth that has been there before the beginning of creation and will exist long after every part of this earth has passed away. Your word is our constant rock on which we stand. And your word says, you will make beauty come forth out of ashes. You know every one of these situations. You know every story. You know every person's hope, expectations, dreams, fears, and concerns. You know them, Lord. And we thank you today that we can hold these things up to you. And we can say, Lord, we stand in faith. Even when we are weak, we say, help our unbelief, Lord. But may we never depart from this truth that you can do all things. And in you, we can do all things. We can endure. We can stand. We can have faith. We can have hope. You said, Lord Jesus, we will say to the mountain, pick yourself up and be cast into the sea. Nothing is impossible, Lord, as we stand in you and we are people of faith and we stand in faith, Lord, for each of these individual concerns today and we speak, let there be beauty instead of ashes. May the morning be turned into dancing. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray for our nation at this time. And we hold up our nation to you, our beautiful nation, Lord. We see it in its beauty because we see it through your eyes, Lord. And we hold up our nation and we say, Lord, you are not done with us. And you have the final word. And we speak life. We are not looking for death, Lord. We are not looking for things to come crashing down and collapsing. We are looking for life. We are looking for resurrection. We are looking for joy. We are looking for grace. Come, Lord, and have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to give an opportunity before we sing our last song together, that you may be here today and you've never made this decision to give your life to the Lord Jesus, as we say. What that simply means is to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need to be set free. I need your forgiveness I need to be restored. I need to be healed, Lord. And I want to give you opportunity today that somebody can pray with you and pray that prayer with you and that you can receive the love of Jesus and that you can have Jesus come and dwell within you. I also want to give an opportunity for people that may be here today and you can remember a time when you were following Jesus and you were close to Jesus, but you've drifted. You've, for some other reason, for whatever it is, your love for God has grown cold. But you want to come back. His arms are open wide. And he says, come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. I have a place for you. I've never left you. I've never forgotten you. I've kept your place. Come. And then lastly, there may even be people here that you're feeling your faith and your love for Jesus is being challenged and you're feeling weak. You're feeling like you're wavering. You're losing your footing in the Lord. Today we want to pray for you. This is a great day. This is a wonderful moment to come and say, Lord, have your way in my life. 
So we're going to sing together. And as we do that, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Our pastoral team is going to be here, our elders, our leaders, life group leaders, everybody that's, that can will just be here. They want to just pray with you. And, we, and if you come forward, will you just tell the person that's going to pray for you, I've come to give my life to Jesus. I've come because I've drifted away. Or I come because I'm, my faith's weak and I'm wavering. And then they'll know how to pray for you and what to do in that situation. If there's anything else you want us to pray for, you're also welcome to come to the front. But before we begin to sing this song, and as we're going to have people come forward, there's just a few announcements I have to make. So just stay standing. This is going to be very, very quick.